Hello, and welcome to Better Betting. Here are your hosts, the King of Timonium, Gary Quill, and the ruler of the replays, Eric Rubin. Hey, and welcome to Better Betting. My name is Eric Rubin, and I'm here with my partner, the King of Timonium, Gary Quill. GQ, how be you? Freezing my ass off. How about you? You ready for a big <laughs> snowstorm? I'm I'm getting out of Dodge. I think I'm heading down south to West Virginia, Charlestown, God. to avoid the storm. Miami, <laughs> West Virginia. <laughs> Since Aqueduct won't be running this weekend, you're you're heading south for your uh, addiction, right? Yeah, the, the the forecast calls for two to twenty inches of snow, so that's uh, pretty wide range. But I'm going to err on the side of caution and get out of here. Well, this week's guest is probably just laughing at us talking about two to 12 inches of snow because he comes from uh, the great state of Minnesota who they probably have snow uh, 11 months out of the year. So you want to just bring bring in our guest right now? Sure. Uh, welcome to the show. Our third Minnesotan. Is that how you say it? Minnesotan or Minnesotian? Minnesotan, I think. Our third Minnesotan. That might be the most guests from one state we've had on this show. Who would have thought it would have been Minnesota? But welcome to the show, Canterbury Park analyst, Brian Aragoni. Hey guys, thanks for having me on. Certainly appreciate it. I think we've got probably 16 inches of snow or so on the ground right now. It's <laughs> it's negative 10. So I'd certainly uh, trade in the snow for some warmer weather up here in Minnesota. So probably during the summertime, the last bit of snow that's piled up in you know parking lots melts in September. And then the new snow starts falling. Is that yeah? Close? It's usually, yeah, it's usually like a coin toss. And if we have snow on the ground when they run for the roses in May, uh, if snow is still melting the first Saturday in May, um, or not, is always a question mark up here in Minnesota. Nice. Well, welcome. Thanks a lot for taking time out to join us uh, to dope out the uh, pay, the Pegasus. Uh, World Cup uh, card, late pick five, the golf stream starting at race eight. But we're just going to get to know Brian a little bit first. Uh, first things off, how did you find your way to horse racing? You know, I, I think it kind of found me. My dad brought me out to horse racing when I was young. He's got photos of me in a stroller out at Canterbury Park. He got into horse racing right from day one um, when Canterbury Downs actually opened uh, back in 1987. So, um, I've been in it ever since the beginning. He taught me how to read a racing form before I was reading books. And frankly, <laughs> the racing form is one of the only books I ever finished, uh, start to finish, uh, typically for a week or for a month. Um, but I've been in it ever since the beginning. Just my father got me into it. He, uh, you know, was a gambler, a player himself, uh, didn't know much about it, self-taught. Um, and it's something that I've always been appreciative of because I certainly don't have any regrets playing the horses. Well, that, that's at least one one of the things that uh, you and I and probably Eric have in common and many, many, many horse players, you know, our dads, uncles, grandparents, whatever, they they brought us out to the track and we fell in love with the, the sport and the challenge of handicapping. And like you said, at a young age, you know, we got exposed to the daily racing form and uh, how to read it. So, uh Outside of being the paddock analyst, uh, you're on Twitter. You're Mr. BCBY, which is Canterbury's uh, abbreviation, analyst. 
and uh, you're a lover of all sports, which yours truly is as well. What I can't claim to be is a washed up hockey player, but I think that's a prerequisite if you grow up in Minnesota, right? Yeah, I think Eric and I probably both uh, hold that title. I'm not sure if he'd admit to being washed up yet like I do, but it's just easier that way if you admit to being washed up, then the expectations are always low uh, when you step foot on the ice. Do you still play in you know older leagues? I don't. Um, I actually have a son now that I coach, so I co- coach squirts here. Um, after I played collegiately, I, I did officiate for a while at high school at co- and the college level. Um, but now I've moved on to coaching and found great satisfaction in that and still uh, find a ways to get a little adrenaline rush here and there with coaching. Cool. That's great. Yeah. Uh, pa- you know, once again, you, you now as a dad are passing on your passions to your son, like your dad did. So that that's great. And that's awesome. Um, as far as horse racing, uh, first of all, what's your preferred past performances do you know uh, the daily racing form brisnet equibase something else time form i've tried all of them um i landed on formulator with drf and now that they've made it free it's it's become that much more accessible but i've been on it for a while i'm kind of old school pen and paper um you know handicap the races with my eyes i'm a big fan of going in and watching replays um i think what you get out is what you put in um, and I think that's something that more people can always do is instead of just picking up a form, no matter what it is, just putting in the time and truly being prepared uh, can really pay off more often than not. Certainly doesn't always work out, um, but it's worked for me in the past. And I think Formulator makes it clear and concise. Some of the others, great information, but I really have a challenging time eliminating horses or tossing out horses because I can find ways that all of them can win. There's so much information. <laughs> yeah, that is, uh, you know, sometimes we get information overload and uh, we just lose sight of what might be obvious. So we dig so deep into it. So uh, as far as your uh, wager uh, that you prefer, you know, are you a win better, uh, horizontal, vertical, what, what, what do you prefer? Yeah, I'll play uh, win bets and exactos, but my bread and butter, I'm not sure if I have a bread and butter, but my sweet spot uh, could potentially be pick fives and pick sixes. I do play the verticals every once in a while, but I really fancy the horizontals. Um, You know, they've become more challenging with the computer assisted wagering and things like that. People have really picked up that they can pay off, but oftentimes you'll see the pick fives or the pick sixes are the lowest takeout and they can be the most rewarding, but yet the most challenging as well. Cool. Uh, as far as um, favorite memory, favorite horse, do you have anything like that? Yeah, there's a lot of favorite memories. I mean, uh, you know, there's so many horses that I can think back uh, that were amazing. Um, but I always just enjoyed watching Gunrunner. He was game every single time. Uh, he found the lead and just seemed to always find another gear for Asmussen um, and was fortunate enough to be at Del Mar when he won the Breeders' Cup. Um, on his way out the door and that was a cool experience for me both for myself and being there with my dad as well so that's something I'll always cherish. Cool now uh, with, with the turmoil going on horse racing for the most part mainstream media seems to only pick up on the negative stuff that goes on in horse racing which kills everybody who loves the sport. Um, what if there was one thing if you were horse racing commissioner for the day uh or week or whatever how long it would take is there one thing in particular that you would like to see change 
Yeah, for sure. It's not that hard to time a race. Um, get your timing figured <laughs> out. Um, you know, I think it's challenging. Uh, quarter horses, they pop, they time it right from when the gates pop. I understand the run up and why it's there. Um, but with the rails moving in and out, I just really wish we could figure out the timing because without timing, you really can't handicap that accurately. And without people handicapping accurately or without people having confidence in the product they're reviewing, uh, that's really hurting handle. And I think ultimately that should be something that needs to be focused on, you know, the testing and the cheating and whatever, you know, that'll handle itself, I think in due time, or I'm hopeful it will. Uh, but ultimately I wish tracks would focus more on uh, their product that they put out and their timing of races. Yeah, I definitely, I think uh, no matter what sport you're dealing with uh, the one thing that, the people involved, the customers, which are the horse players in this particular case, they look for consistency. That's all. That's all we, we, we want. Want to see consistency and an honest product and something that uh, we feel confident when we put our hard-earned dollars into uh, this short-term sports investment. So uh, that's great, Brian. I I truly uh, appreciate. Um, everything that's going on at Canterbury. Canterbury certainly is one of those tracks that, you know, they're, they're not a top tier track. They're far from the bottom tier, but yet what they're doing is they're making strides. They're bringing people out to the track, uh, whether it be uh, with some gimmicks, but at least what they're doing is they're exposing folks to horse racing and educating people, which, which is huge. Yeah, certainly. I think they've done a good job. You know, the 10% takeout pick five has been a hit. Uh, the $1 pick six is intriguing to a lot of players around the country. A lot of uh, tracks have gone to a jackpot pick six. And Canterbury tried to go to $1 pick six, and I think it's going to work in due time. The more people hear about it, I think it's going to pick up steam and momentum. And I've certainly enjoyed my six or seven years at Canterbury Park. It's my home track. Um, truly living a dream. Never imagined I'd be an employee there. Um, I was quite content uh, just being a fan, but now I'm even more excited every day I go to the track. That's nice. And and you said your dad exposed exposed you to it. I mean, he did he own horses? He he wasn't a trainer. He wasn't a jockey. You are truly a rare bird. You were able to break through the nepotism and actually uh, get a job based on your merit. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I didn't. Uh, you know. I didn't put a ring on anyone's finger or anything like that, or, uh, you know, my dad wasn't a trainer or anything like that. He truly was a gambler carrying around racing form. And I was as well. Um, I was fortunate enough when Angela Herman took her experience uh, to Golden Gate in Santa Anita, that they had an opening at the paddock position. And I simply sent an email and kind of the rest was history. They took a chance on me and I've been forever grateful, but, uh, We'll always be thankful for my dad as well, because he is uh, just one of a kind. He's a gambler, a player, and uh, still tries to tell me when I screw up uh, messing up my tickets. So that, that is great. So you it, you are proof that, you know, people who weren't born into having a, a mom or dad who worked in the industry can truly make an impact. And, and, and work in the industry you love. So that's great. So uh, without further ado. Um, I know my partner in crime here on this podcast, Eric Rubin, is chomping at the bit to ask you a few questions. And then you two are going to do the uh, yeoman's work on uh, the Gulfstream Park pick five. And I might throw in my opinion here or there. 
uh, as Eric always uh, allows me to. So Eric, it's all yours. And I had a, a little bone to pick about hockey with Brian, but we spoke about it before the show, but I would say about five, six weeks ago, he poked some fun, I believe, at the New York Islanders who were struggling, and specifically Zach Parisi, uh, the former Minnesota Wild who came to the Islanders. And I just wanted to mention to him, and I did before the show, but I'll say it on the air, that Zach Parisi has been the best player on the team. Well, Adam Pellick's the best player, but he's been the best forward on the team for the last four months, uh, four weeks, which might not be saying much. So I want to thank you for Parisi after cursing you for three months for giving him to us because he was terrible at the beginning. <laughs> Well, the only comeback I have to that is that's probably why you guys are struggling so much is that Zach Parise has been your best player. That's uh, not anything to really write home about, I don't think. <laughs> that That is true. But I, I think the giving spirit of the Minnesota Wild, giving us Parise was a nice start. So I'm thinking maybe Kaprizov for next season we can get and yeah. uh, and go for there. <laughs> yeah, no, that? you guys wish. We'll keep them to the 36-year-olds you can have. Uh, <laughs> no, I think we took Pominville from you guys as well. So we just returned the favor with uh, Parisi. Yeah, well, Sorokin, our goalie, is uh, very good friends with Kaprizov. So maybe uh, maybe they'll want to be reunited. But yeah, that's a pipe dream. I, one more hockey question, actually, a uh, more serious question. And I'm just curious about, I don't know if our listeners care, but uh, Minnesota uh, had a team, the North Stars. Some uh, hockey fans out there might know who moved away. It's got to be like, what, 20 something years ago already? In the early nineties, maybe. Yeah. I, I'm a, I don't want to date you, but were you around for that? Uh, were you a fan? And then how do you go? If you were a fan, do you, did you stick with them in Dallas or did you get away from them? Were you angry? I'm curious. I'm a little young. I mean, you know, the okay. old saying, I'm old enough to know that the old saying is Norm Green sucks. Uh, he's <laughs> the one who took away the North stars and moved him down to Dallas. Um, but in 2000, the Minnesota wild came back and, while the North Stars are certainly always cherished, I think, you know, the Wild have a home here for a long time to come. And hopefully we can have some playoff success uh, in the future as the first round has been tough for us lately. I have a, I have a, you know, similar question since I lived through the Baltimore Colts moving to Indianapolis. I, um, I, I'm assuming your dad followed the North Stars in his day. Um, did any of the, like, Career North Stars players embrace the Wild when Minnesota got got the uh, you know the Wild uh, franchise. Yeah, actually, I mean Mike Madano is still um, he's got a huge position uh, within the Wild. Mike Madano is working alongside Bill Guerin and also Miko Koivu, who returned after retirement to the Wild, and he was our longest tenured uh, player with the Wild. But Mike Madano was a huge player for the North stars. And now he's in the front office of the Minnesota wild. So uh, he certainly returned. I wish one of my favorites, Dino Cicerelli would come back. Oh, but that's probably a pipe dream. I'm far from a loyal hockey fan, but Mike Madonna and Dino Cicerelli are names that uh, I, I recall from watching uh, uh, NHL playoffs. <laughs> that's right. And so, yeah. And uh, the reason why I brought it up is because all of the retired hall of famers or the, the Baltimore Colts, uh, they embrace the fact of uh, a Baltimore NFL franchise, whether it was the Colts or not, uh, in town, and the Ravens organization embraced them as well. So it, it's cool. And and that's a thing that uh, um, I, I always hated whenever they talk about, you know, Indianapolis Colts and Peyton Manning, 
you know, breaking Johnny Unitas' record. But Johnny Unitas never played for the Indiana, Indianapolis Colts. So Peyton Manning can have all the Indianapolis Colts records, you know, I and that that's that's the tough thing for any franchise that moves to another city. You know, you know, how how do they deal with the, the records and that kind of stuff? So certainly. So, all right. So, sorry about getting off on that tangent. So, go ahead, Eric. Start That's okay. Uh, one more horse racing related question, <laughs> then we'll get started because I don't want to keep uh, keep me here all night, Brian. Um, TV analysts, we a lot of us like on Twitter give them a hard time, and I know it's not always an easy job when you have to put out all your tickets and stuff. But so many of them don't understand the betting side. One reason why I wanted Brian on the show is because not only is he a great analyst and handicapper, but he really understands the betting side. He's one of the rare people who understands that, you know, using three favorites in every leg of a pick five is probably not a very wise move. So I was happy to have him on the show. And I guess my question is, because I see it a lot on Twitter, this discussion, does like Canterbury Park or anyone, do they give you any guide? if you're allowed to say, do they give you any guidance on that? If you're putting out tickets or anything, is there like a price limit? Is it just you talking about what you like? How does Oftentimes that work? there's a price limit. Um, you know, I, if I wanted to put out a larger ticket, they'd certainly be okay with that. Um, but locally, at least at Canterbury Park, you know, I can't speak towards New York where people play bigger tickets or whatnot. But at Canterbury, you know, our fan base uh, plays a more limited structure ticket. So they do prefer that. But no one really gives me any guidelines or insight. And that's kind of been all the way through. Um, when I started six years, you know, frankly, I was new to the situation and I was new to them as well. I didn't really get much guideline on tickets. I kind of opened um, things up my own way. Uh, one thing I eliminated or didn't like is a um, recommended wager each and every race, because frankly, you know, even though I work in the industry, I'll tell you that if you're betting every race, you're going to lose. Um, not every race is bettable. And we'll have one in the pick five that's likely unbettable as well um, on Saturday. So um, I don't like the recommended wagers each and every time feeling forced. I mean, we all can tell when someone on TV didn't put much time into it, um, you know, or goes ABC, 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 three by three the entire way. Um, so I try and put time into it. I, I won't put it out unless I've played it or will be playing it myself and researched it. And I uh, frankly wish more people would approach it that way. One thing I hate is, when they put out, like, you know, I'll watch New York racing a lot, and you have Andy Serling, Anthony Seville, whoever they have with them. And it's not just them. It's Laurels. It's every track, pretty much. They put out, like, their four picks every race, like their top four every race. And they're not using four horses every race. Maybe they only like one horse in that race, and they're interested in betting and um, in horizontals and singling and pick threes and pick fours or whatever. Uh, other races, they might want to go six deep or something like that. I just, I just can't stand that. I don't know why tracks do that and I, I don't remember i don't want to put you on the spot i don't remember canterbury too well um do you guys put the the picks on the bottom it's okay if you do the four picks everyone does it i don't want to pick on you but um is that how it works at canterbury too i uh, thankfully we only use three um okay. i've never understood <laughs> the four pick thing either you know part of the reason why i don't play verticals typically is i find it challenging enough to find the winner let alone the horse that's finishing 15 lengths back um and the camera guy didn't care to show you anyway so <laughs> Uh, that's why I try to avoid the tries and supers myself, but I know they work great for some people. Um, but yeah, I'm a big fan of singling. I know some of the East Coast analysts don't always like singling or the term singling, but I certainly uh, am a huge fan of finding a single. All right, I and I like you poke fun at that on Twitter, but we won't get you in trouble here, so we won't mention that. GQ, <laughs> go ahead. Before we uh, handicap, you want to jump in? No, I, I'm going to take a wild ass guess uh, where the having the four horses, you know, they're, they're top four. 
it probably dates back to when super factors first were introduced and, you know, maybe tracks were like, Oh, you know, put out the, their, your top four and try to hawk the, the super fact as a, a bet. That's just a guess. Yeah. And the other thing with the four picks too, it's like today I was watching um, aqueduct and I forgot what race it was, but there was going to be a close to even money favorite. And Anthony Seville didn't have him in his top four. And then Andy Sterling was giving him, a, giving, giving him a hard time. How can't you have him in the top four? He's not in the top four. I mean, this is ridiculous. But if you don't love a favorite, why not just totally ditch him and, you know, put him in second, third? What's the point of doing that? So um, it just, anyway, mind-boggling a little. All right, let's get into handicapping so we don't get in trouble here. Uh, we're going to start on Saturday's eighth race at Gulfstream. It's the Inside Information a grade two, seven furlong sprint, I guess we call that, on the dirt. And even though it's a grade two, I believe, and I could be wrong, but I believe we only have one grade two winner in the field, and that's Pacific Gale. Four races, I think, has a grade three win or two of them, maybe. Uh, but I believe that's it. So I don't want to say it's a weak field. It's not really a weak field, but it's an interesting field. And there's worse I really like here, but has some question marks. Uh, and then we spoke before uh, we came on too about the uh, the eight horse just one time. So Brian, maybe we'll start with that horse because she is the three to one morning line favorite. I was a little surprised to see that, but maybe with the connection, she will go off the favorite. Coming from Penn National with some big speed figures, class is going to be the question. What are your thoughts on number eight just one time? You know, this uh, frustrating start to the pick five for me because I'm going to take a stand against the favorite in here. I do believe just one time could potentially be bet down in this spot. Brad Cox seemingly always finds ways to win on racing's biggest days. Um, and, and this one, you know, why not four for five? But for me, you know, oftentimes I can overlook Penn National or Presque Isle. Um, but three of the five victories did come against state company as well. So Pennsylvania bred. So truly running against not much. Um, in my opinion. So they, they've been uh, impressive races, impressive times, albeit, but I do think in a vulnerable spot in here. I'm not sure if this is where they were always targeting, uh, training at fairgrounds, now shipping in. Um, so I've got my question marks. I'll probably look elsewhere in this spot. Um, not a real confident race for me. I'm going to use probably the three, five, six, and seven. You touched on it with Pacific Gale. The class is there, doesn't always love to win. Now a seven-year-old mare, but two of the five wins came at Gulfstream. And one of them I remember quite well because I didn't have her and she came rolling down the outside at 17 to one and knocked me out um, on a big day when she won her grade two. So I'll use Pacific Gale at eight to one, I think four graces last time I really needed the race January 6th. Uh, maybe they knew they were coming here. It's a little bit of short rest. Didn't even win that day. Starship Nala was bet down off of a huge morning line and got the job done with a horrible gallop out and looked like she was spent. Meanwhile, four graces, I thought, was just getting going. Needed the race off the layoff. Leperu comes back. Uh, he's not my favorite rider by any means, but I do think that this one could be sitting on a good race, stretching out, second off the layoff, has a win at the track. Um, there's upside for four graces, in my opinion. Yeah, the uh, you mentioned about the eight, uh, the Cox horse. I mean, we, we've seen on this show, we've covered horses a lot where they're coming out of Penn National, and those numbers seem to get inflated a lot, and I'm with you. if The, the horse can win, but I'm, I'm not on that one. I'm assuming they just shipped him because, you know, they were bringing um, Nick's go here, and they might as well, you know, get a few others in. doesn't mean he can't win. Oh, she can't win, but I am, uh, I'm going to play against the eight totally as well. 
you mentioned Pacific Gallo. That's a horse I thought was done. And then the race you referenced was the inside information last year, or was it two years ago already? Uh, no, last year she won this race at 16 or 17 to one. So it was the same race. I will say that I remember looking at the workout reports before the race, and I didn't think it was a tough field last year. And her workout reports were like amazing. She was getting like B plus, A minus from DRF workout reports, which are, you know, you don't really get higher than that. So maybe that's something to look at the workout reports this year, but she's also coming off the layoff. You, you touched on the horse I really love, um, but there are some question marks, and that's the five, four graces. Yeah, she got a great setup in the last race, but like you said, she probably needed the race. It was probably a prep race. And yeah, she was going by the others at the wire. And if they went another 16th or a mile, she probably wins that by two lengths. And if they go another you know, quarter mile, she wins it by three or four lengths at least. So um, I, I think she just needed that race. I fell in love with her when she um, got in that huge speed goal at Keeneland on July 10th and held on and held off Sconston, who's a decent horse. So I'm a huge fan. If she's right, I think she towers over this field. And I'm most likely going to single her. My only concern, and I don't know if you're a big like pace analyst, Brian, do you try and like map out how the race is going to be uh, pace wise in your head? Or is that not a big part of your handicapping? Oh, certainly. Um, you know, I don't look at the pace numbers as much as other people. I, you know, obviously I pay attention to pace. I think the three is going to have to gun it. Um, you know, the 10 is going to be close. The eight's probably going to be up there. Uh, you know, you and I have the same opinion, uh, somewhat cheap speed in, in the eight just one time, but the three is going to be going up there quickly. And I thought, in four graces replay was never able to really settle or get comfortable, you know, with bet down to six to five, six furlongs, a little too sharp, a little too keen for her. And she was never able to truly settle. I think she'll get a decent pace set up here and kind of make one run of it because I do think the pace is going to be honest. Um, the horse I really didn't know what to do with was the two AG Indy, you know, size is my favorite rider, a guy that I never want to leave off any of my tickets and Pletcher's winning at 42%. Uh, I'm a little uh, not concerned, but just leery of the spot, you know, it's been on the turf primarily was once a $35,000 claimer now shows up for connections that are winning at a insane amount. And that'll be another one that I'm cautious of, but certainly not going to be on my ticket, at least originally. And that, that's the next horse I was going to ask you about. And I'm with you also. I mean, the horse can win just like the, uh, the Brad Cox horse, but one start on the dirt was, was real bad. It was a long time ago. Um, much better horse now, but I, I'm willing to let that horse beat me as well. Uh, before we go on, just uh, Jakarta, the seven, seven to two, second choice. I don't know if she'll go off second choice. She might actually. You got Irad. What, what are your thoughts on, uh, on Jakarta in this spot? Well, I'm kind of talking out of both sides of my mouth here. I just talked about the two and not ever being on the dirt or showing much on the dirt. And Jakarta, um, you know, has been primarily on the turf, but you look back at the numbers a long time ago, back when she was younger in a Philly, you know, she's six or nine on the dirt. So she's really had success, whether it's on dirt or turf, she made a ton of money. I think could be the controlling speed in here. I just don't see a ton of value. I mean, I do think parks, uh, shippers have had success, whether it's out in New York or down at Gulfstream. Uh, but it's hard for me to overlook that this horse went off at 19 to one last time. Uh, one relatively easy, did get away with a 23 second first quarter, but now you're going to have to settle for five to two or three to one in a race where it looks like there's other pace. Uh, I'm going to use this horse, but uh, I wouldn't be playing it on top in any win wagers. Yeah, and I'm, I'm, I'm not against the card as much as I would be the two or the eight, but for me, I'm almost definitely, you know, 
got to see what the odds are, but I'm almost definitely singling the five here for graces. And if she loses, I'll just play a pick four and, and be out of the pick five. GQ, do you want to add anything before we move on? Yeah, since we're talking about Jakarta, I, you know, I always just look at interesting things that uh, jump out at me. And Jakarta was back on Lasix when, you know, uh, she won that last race. And the last time she saw the winter circle was over a year ago. And that was when she was on Lasix once again. I mean, when she doesn't run with Lasix, she comes up short. I mean, is it just coincidence or, or not? I mean, she's going to take a lot of money, might go off as the favorite just because of IRAD. Uh, who knows? Uh, never been a fan of uh, Mike Trombetta. I mean, our partnership, we claimed, I think, two horses off of Trombetta and improved the horse. <laughs> and our trainer at the time wasn't wasn't one among the best. Uh, I always just thought Trombetta for whatever reason, gets good horses and doesn't get the most out of them. But, you know, he, he tried something with this one, putting put him back on the dirt, which, like Brian said, the horse was five wins out of eight starts before that last race, now he's six and nine. So you got to take notice. Um, just seems like there's a lot of speed in this race. I I kind of like uh, Pacific Gal, like, like, like you guys with, with Gale. Um Two, two races back off of a, lay, a short layoff, second best to Chubb Wagon, who kind of, I think it was undefeated, like uh, in her fir- first eight starts. Um, every time this horse uh, has a little breather, uh, as far as, you know, t- little time off, comes back with a big uh, race, and, uh, you know, she's had a few months off. Seven year old now, not not horribly old. We're early in the year, so um, Pacific Gale is one that I'd lean on. And uh, you're you're spot on with your memory. Yeah, we, uh, the pen speed figures are way way higher than any other uh, track. So um, I there, I don't know what the um, PRFs are, but you know, the Brisnets are 94, 97. So I'm sure they're in the 80s, I guess. 90s, 96, 90, the last couple. Wow. So. Wow. So so a 96 last time out? That was two back and then a 90 last time. Oh, okay. Which but, both are the but, highest in the field. Yeah. Which is very, and then Jakarta yeah, in 93. It's very unusual because like we we've mentioned many a times, the Brisnet numbers are usually about five to seven more. And two back got a 97 for his net. So that's only one more. 94 last time. But uh, no, I, I, I'm i with you guys. Definitely would uh, look to beat her. So that's all. That's, that's all. Yeah. I, and if I, I'm sorry, GQ, if I added to four graces, I would probably want to close her thinking, the four graces gave me confidence because she came off the pace last time. Actually, she doesn't get cooked in a speed duel. But I'd probably look at Pacific Gale. I don't know if you got eight to one, but if you get eight to one, I'd definitely look at her as my other option. Brian, was there anything else you want to add before we move on? No, I'll probably start that pick five off with three, five, six, and seven. Pacific Gale, certainly in with a shot, a horse I wouldn't want to leave off my tickets. Uh, always seems to run a big race uh, when I don't have the horse on my ticket. So I'm just going to avoid that <laughs> this time and uh, add her in there. All right. We're not too far by. I don't like you three, but five, six, seven. Uh, you know, if I hadn't picked two horses other than the five, it would probably be six, seven. So not too far apart. Um, all right. So we'll move on to race nine. The... TAA Pegasus World Cup, Philly and Mayor Turf Invitational. 
Presented by Pepsi. I'll give them. They paid a lot for the race, so I'll give them a little plug. Uh, it's a going three on the turf, going a mile on the 16th. The weather seems to be okay. Maybe a little chilly for the Florida or Southern Florida, but should be on the turf, no problem. And the morning line is always tough to make, so I don't want to get on the morning line maker. He might have it great here, Peter Aiello. But I think Regal Glory, the four, is going to be a pretty short price. I mean, maybe it'll be two to one. At, she'll be two to one. I think a little shorter. But are you with, Brian, are you with Regal Glory here, uh, just class, speed, et cetera, or are you looking elsewhere? I'm going to look elsewhere. I, I'm going to look a little more towards some recency. I think this is a challenging race. There's a lot of unknowns, um, and a lot of the unknowns come from timing. We touched on it earlier in the podcast. A lot of fractions unavailable from horses last race. Um, but one thing I was impressed by uh, with my eyes, Lady Spitesphere in the three-hole, Junior Alvarado gets aboard, uh, Wilson off, Alvarado on. This horse is a half length away from being undefeated. Um, speaking of morning lines, you know, Regal Glory may be a short price in here, um, but I don't know if we're going to get anywhere near that eight to one. Has controlling speed. I'm not sure if we really need the lead. I watched the replay back. Um, had a ton of trouble at the top of the lane. Looked like she was completely done. She kind of blew the turn, drifted out, looked like she was extremely tired, and then still only lost by half a length and actually galloped out in front, fought back. So it's a horse who will dig down deep, I don't think needs to be on the lead. I like the jockey change. Um, four for five, the horse needs to win. I'm actually going <laughs> to single on one of my pick five tickets. I play two pick fives. Um, you have a, a brave single in the first. This will be my brave single here um, in Ladies Fight Sphere, and then I'll probably go pretty deep um, on the other ticket and kind of spread out after that. And yeah, I, I like Lady Spite, uh, Spite Spear as well. Uh, we've had a lot of Canadians, a lot of wood miners on the track. Other than Minnesota, I think Canada, we've probably had more Canadians. Uh, so I hope they're not listening because the little subtle jabs at Emma Jane will not go over well. But I agree with you. It is a it is a step up in the jockey there. And uh, I'm not against Lady Spitesbeer. It looks like there is some speed in the race. I always hate predicting it because jockeys see that and they take back or whatever. But maybe Lady Spitesbeer can uh, come off the pace. Like you said, doesn't necessarily need the lead. Uh, Junior Alvarado is not the most aggressive. I love Junior, but he's not the most aggressive rider. So perhaps he'll sit a little bit right behind the speed and get a good trip. I, I think Regal Glory is going to be really tough. I, I don't know. I know he's got to, she's got to keep calling me he. She's got to come back across the country and had a couple months off and who knows. But it's Chad Brown. He'll probably have her ready. She's coming out of grade ones that she won. Uh, her race two back was really impressive to me, the first lady, even though she came in second. Um, she broke out, lost about half a length in the start was kind of like two to three wide throughout. And I can't read my handwriting. Um, and she couldn't run down the bone speed. Blowout, that was blowout. Just got an easy lead that day. And she came close to running down blowout. Just couldn't go by her. Blowout had it really easy up front. And blowout's a nice horse. So especially went alone on the lead. So I, I like that horse. And she came back to win, of course, the, the matriarch at Del Mar. So I do think Regal Roy is going to be tough. She's got speed where she can sit somewhat close. She doesn't come from the clouds. And um I'm probably not going to single. I know it's not good taking a short price and spreading a little, but there's a couple others that interest me. You already spoke about Lady Spite Spear. That's definitely one that does. There's two others that I was interested in. Um, actually, there's one other, but then the price of the other one may be interested. So I'll start with number seven, Nicest. I don't love that this is kind of like the second or third choice, so that or, or third choice, I think, scares me a little. But I do like Nicest. Um, she walked, it doesn't say it in the PPs, but two back her last turf race at Del Mar the red carpet, she just stood in the gate for like two strides and spotted the field two lengths. Um, she followed an 11-1 easy uh, lead winner 
and she was losing ground late, so I don't love that. But in fact, she had, had to overcome a two-length slow start. doesn't say it there, so you get some value. She'd have to improve, but that was only her second start in this country. I think she's trending in the right direction. She ran well enough on the dirt. She's not a dirt horse last time. So I, I do like nicest a little bit here. And then the horse I wasn't going to use, but then I saw the morning line, and then I'm like, eh, I don't think you'll get this morning line because I was surprised. Is the 11 bipartisanship. This is a horse who had trouble last race and still beat most of these. Um, she did save ground and was getting a, a perfect trip until the top of the stretch uh, where she got a little stuck and uh, had to overcome that trouble. So the perfect trip before that. And then the trouble kind of offset a little bit. To me, it's like an okay trip. It's not like a great trip. It's not like terrible trouble, but she still beat me. She's looks like she's an improving horse each race. I know the post is probably not ideal, but um, she definitely raised a chance, especially if there is some speed in this race. So um, I, I got to see the odds in the double uh, probables, but I'm with three, Lady Spitesbeer. I, I think Regal Glory is going to be tough. Seven nicest, 11 bipartisanship. Brian, I spoke for a long time. You want to add anything, whether it's about ones I spoke about or any other horses here? No, I mean, I'll, I'll probably single Lady Spitesbeer, maybe going up in class. I know it's a grade one winner, but bipartisanship, even though I like the horse as well, you know, hasn't won a lot, was eligible for non-winners at two going into that last race, but they have asked uh, a lot of her so far. She's been at four different tracks the last four times out. Um, I thought the horse was blocked at the upper. I didn't really think it was that bad. I thought Lady Spikes here had significantly more trouble and still fought back. I kind of thought bipartisan it opened up after being blocked um, at the top of the lane. Post number 11 is certainly a tough post. Um, this race, I'm either going to be right or wrong. I think that December 26th race was live. Um, if it was, you know, hopefully those two run well. And if it wasn't, um, hopefully we're able to cover somewhere else. I think this race is completely wide open. So I guess in a sense, you could say, I just have my question marks about Regal Glory. You know, she's six years old, certainly the class of the field. Um, but when she has won, she hasn't won by all that much. She's needed to dig down deep. And I know Chad Brown will have her sharp and ready to go, but at six years old, you know, maybe someone else wins that photo. Hey, GQ, you want to jump in here? Yeah, just a couple observations. You know, there's uh, probably uh, four, I believe, four-year-olds in here. Again, we're at the beginning of the year. And, you know, some of them, you know, I'm not – nothing earth-shattering because they're all uh, long shots in here, you know, eight to one or 12 to one or more, talking about the one coming from Italy with uh, Bill Mott, the two-horse, Juan Kanaka. Uh, 12 to 1 gift list looks really good. Never been off the board in eight career starts. Again, you know, first start is a four year old against older horses. Uh, now that's why the 15 to 1 and uh, the one all the way on the outside by partisanship. Another uh, uh, four year old who did, you know, race against older uh, in her. Uh, three-year-old campaign, so it's no shock running against older there. The, the horse that I find interesting is the six-horse Alms at 20 to 1. I find it interesting because in that last race uh, at Gulfstream, uh, ran seventh, looks really ugly, uh, five and a half. I did not watch the replay to see that she was just overmatched or whatever. But what's interesting is that she took money. She was Seven to two, went off seven to two, and Sweet Melania and two others wound up uh, finishing in front of her, and uh, Sweet Melania went off at six to one that day. 
I like to give a second look at courses like that where, you know, they, they, they took money, they showed nothing. Um, but yet somehow at least Brisnet uh, got uh, a, a decent speed figure out of that race. Maybe again, um, because it's graded, she, she may have been a little overhead, but you know, Hey, she, she's a competed a graded stake. So, uh, if I'm getting 20 to one, I may give uh, the six horse arms a second look. In your defense, uh, not defense, but in your support or whatever you want to call it, uh -huh. to corroborate your pick, number six, uh, she did have a three wide to four wide trip. And it was a race where speed held shifty. She, who's a nine horse here, had a pretty easy lead and coughed it up. And Sweet Melania just kind of saved ground, very good trip uh, behind them. So uh, behind uh, shifty she. So both of them had pretty much ideal trips where your horse did not my problem with arms is the race before that where she got a pretty big speed figure at fairgrounds she just had like the perfect of perfect trips but it was third off of layoffs i actually thought she ran better last time than she did when she put up a big speed figure two back so she might be going in the right direction it looks like she is and i'm not against arms as uh i am many of your picks uh gq so not as well, bad as usual. <laughs> well, and, and again, you know, the, the differences between Brisnet speed figures and buyer speed figures. Arms uh, improved three points uh, in that last race over where you said you got the perfect trip. Uh, so, and that's what I like, you know, that, you know, a lot of people are heavy on third race after a layoff, which that last race was, but um, she keeps improving off of that speed figure. And uh, she, you know, that was nowhere close to her career high. So uh, I think she has still room to redeem herself, let's say. All right. That's and all and as Brian said, you know, the timing at Gulfstream has been atrocious. So who knows if these speed figures are accurate anyway. I would worry more about class and trip if I'm studying Gulfstream at this point and not really looking at speed figures too much. Brian, was there anything you want to add before we move on? No, I think that race, you know, could potentially be wide open. And oftentimes when I think that, you know, Regal Glory comes <laughs> rolling down and wins by open lengths under wraps. So that's what could happen. Hey, hey, Eric, before you move on, for the people who are listening and might have this question, how would you guys approach uh, the two horse or any horse that, you know, first time in the States, you don't get a lot. Sometimes it's hard to find um, replays for those races. How do you go about person? Because I mean, the horse has been, you know, killing it in, in Italy, finally got into a group race and won it. But if you're a pace handicapper, you know, is the horse winning on the lead, does it come off the pace? Either well, one you of you? Put a, put a little effort in, you find the replay. That's what you do. But uh, I'll let Brian, right, well, I have my answer. Do, I'll let... do tell for those who may not be able to find those All replays. Right. What type I'll, of I'll, effort? I'll... I'll give a recap of her last race, and I'll let Brian no, talk no, in general. No, no, no. Just, just share how you go about uh, finding those replays. Well, there's many ways, but usually I use Naira bets for replays. I don't bet Naira bets usually, but I use them for replays. I hope they don't cut me off. Uh, and you just search the date, and you look. Now, in this case, it was Italy. So you know what I did, GQ? There's this thing called YouTube. If you go on YouTube and you put in the Regina Elena Italian replay, 2021 it comes up and you watch it and the guy talks in italian and it takes a while to figure out what horse is what uh although you can go to the racing post and get the um the chart for the race and they show yeah. you the colors that, that they wear but i didn't even bother with that because there was only one race i do that for the breeders cup and i watched the horse save ground um you know 
moved up late, won easy. I just don't know. She beat three-year-olds a year ago almost in Italy. I'm not saying the horse can't win. You're going to get probably a good ground-saving trip. Looks like some pace in the race. Should make a late run. I wouldn't blame you for using Wakanaka. And if I wasn't using Regal Glory, I would just spread here because I'm not going to use Sweet Melania. I'm not going to use one of the other shorter prices. So, uh, But that, that's what I do. I watch the replay. I try and judge the class of the race. And uh, that's how I approach it. Brian, was there any way you approach either this one or just in general? Yeah, I mean, I try and find the replays on uh, YouTube. There's some other videos you can find as well. Um, I'm probably overthinking this one. I mean, the horse is six for eight. Um, a lot of people are going to see Rispoli, sure. But him and Bill Mott have only teamed up four times over the past five years. So in my book, I think Mott probably made first call elsewhere and didn't get who he wanted. Um, one thing I didn't really like and, you know, came here a while ago, had a workout back <laughs> in June and then laid off until December. So they didn't like what they saw when they first got her, you know, gave her some time to get acclimated for sure. Um, but I think the plan was to run much before now. And now you're going in with the jockey who's great, albeit, but still uh, only four uses for Bill Mott with her spoil in the last five years. Um, for me, I think this one is going to be one of the few that I don't use um, on my second pick five ticket. And then moving on to race 10. Oh, the... wait, yeah, oh go ahead. I'm sorry, GQ. Yeah, before you move on, what did you mention? What is that called? Internet? How do you spell that? Yeah, I'll, I'll World Wide Web. You go on that. I was going to make an AOL web. joke, but I think so, Brian has so... AOL, so I can't make the AOL joke. I didn't make fun of him because I do still have an AOL account, Brian, so it's okay. But <laughs> Well, hey, when's the last security breach at AOL? I hear about <laughs> there you go. email and no one's breaking into AOL. That is absolutely true because no one's using it, but it's a good point. It's a good point. All right. Race 10, the Fred Hooper. Uh, it's a mile on the dirt. And when people said on Saturday, there's this big stakes race with two horse race. I think they were talking about the Pegasus, but Brian, could they be talking about the Fred Hooper too? Or do you see a way past the top two in this spot? Well, gosh, I, I sure hope that uh, there is because I, I'm – not necessarily against either of the top two in Speaker's Corner and Fearless. They've really done nothing wrong, but I kind of fancy the other Pletcher a little bit in here, and I, I may be biting off more than I can chew, but this is a horse who's going up in class. There's no doubt about it. The horse is far inferior class-wise from the others, but I was very impressed last time out with Liam, number six. I read Ortiz, Todd Pletcher you know, was really pressured heavily on the front end. I thought this horse did very well. A little bit concerned about the drifting out, but oftentimes I think that's overplayed. Um, you know, this is a horse that there's a reason the horse is in here. Certainly uh, Todd Pletcher doesn't necessarily press horses into spots that are in bad spots, um, but when he enters in two, just like any other trainer, I certainly always pay attention to the quote-unquote other um, horse, you know, maybe Fearless is going to get set up by Liam, uh, who's going to press Speaker's Corner, and Fearless gets a great setup. But oftentimes, um, you know, I've been fancied by these horses on the cutbacks at Gulfstream, and sometimes that two turns back to one turn kind of deadens their speed, and they just have a little bit too much work to do. Uh, so I happen to like the six quite a bit in this spot. Yeah, I think Speaker's Corner, I mentioned about Junior Alvarado. He's not one to necessarily just be aggressive and go. He's a New York jockey, so they like to uh, strangle him back. Shortening up, I just, I mean, I don't think Speaker's Corner is going to get in the duel with Liam, which maybe that helps. I think it helps both of them in a way, but it, it may help Liam just steal the race, uh, you know, potentially 
the case. I, I'm not in love with Liam too much, but I, I wouldn't be shocked. Uh, I am uh, chalking out a little bit. I do like Speaker's Corner here. Uh, I just think between the horses that he's run against compared to the others, I think class-wise he stands out. He's faster on speed figures. Um, two back. What did I write here? He, uh, oh, that's where he got in a big duel with First Constitution, uh, and he prevailed by six lengths. So First Constitution, who ended up coming back two races later, won the Jazzle uh, just a week or two ago. So a very good horse there. And I know he lost to Miles D last time, but has a little time off. He's been pressed a lot in the races. I, I just, I think he's even going to take a step forward as a four-year-old. And I, I'm pretty confident on Speaker's Corner here. And I, I don't know if I'm going to single him. Uh, most likely, I, I don't know who else I would use because I hate to use Fearless and him, especially, you know, with Chalk elsewhere later. So uh, I'm kind of on Speaker's Corner, but I know it's nothing uh, out of the ordinary. If it wasn't the one Fearless, the six Liam, or the eight Speaker's Corner, is there anyone else for people like Verticals even? Is there anyone else here you think has a, a chance here or are those two or three just too, too well, tough? I, I don't want to answer a question with a question, but <laughs> who's going to go with Liam here? I just don't see a ton of speed in this race. I see a lot of horses that want to press the speed, but, um, you know, I, I can't imagine both Pletchers are going to be on the engine. You know, maybe yeah. Speaker's Corner uh, is sharp off the layoff, but who's going to go with Liam early? I'm assuming Speaker's Corner is going to sit like a length or length and a half off, and I think Martin Jr. are just going to think that they're better than Liam and they can just run him down late. But – if Speaker's Corner goes with Liam, it kind of sets up for Fearless or maybe someone else. And uh, but but I wouldn't be surprised. Maybe they're underestimating if they do that. Liam and Liam can wire the field. It's it's definitely possible. Yeah, I mean, if I'm looking for a long shot, I might throw an officiating or shivery. I'm not even confident they can win. But uh, Ralph Nix and Safi Joseph, you know, they find ways to win, whether it's claiming crown or other big days. Uh, certainly win on the undercard. And if those guys go off at 15 or 20 to one, oftentimes they get a good setup. And, and that could be the case for two horses that uh, we know certainly like Gulfstream Park. One of the horses who I love when he's racing because he's a great bet against uh, is finally, I think the luster is off. So you're not really benefiting by betting against him. That's the seven Dennis's moment, um, nine to two morning run. I don't think he'll be any shorter than that. I think he might even be higher than that. Perhaps the name recognition is wearing off now. Um, I, you didn't mention him as someone with a chance in your head. So to me, I, I don't like him at all, but do you give him any look here? Nah, he's a pitch. Uh, you know, he's been in my mind, a, a hanger ever since he had trouble in the Breeders' Cup juvenile. Uh, it's a sad story because there was so much talent there early on. I know he's put up some big numbers recently and still making money. Um, but you know, they had to drop down to an optional claimer at Ellis Park off of a layoff. Um, I just sadly don't think that he's still the same horse that he once was. Yeah, and I agree. He's only speed figure buyer above a 90 in the last like eight stars, seven stars. Was that race at uh, Keeneland two back? And that came with a perfect trip against uh, optional claimers, allowance optional claimers. So, um, yeah, I, I don't like him at all. I hope he takes nine to two money. I'm not saying it's impossible for him to win, but I'd be very shocked if, uh, if he wins. Like I said, I just hope he takes money. GQ. Yeah, he was all out to win that race and barely got up that day at Keeneland. Yeah, yeah. GQ, any uh, any thoughts here? No, I, I, I like uh, Brian's uh, analysis on Liam as far as I think he, you know, nobody – I'm not sure if uh, Speaker's Corner really wants to go with him. So it, it's going to be kind of like, well, you know, do, do you really want to 
sacrifice speaker's corner uh, to try to press Liam. Uh, so I, I would be in the camp of Liam uh, as a lone speed winner. And it's interesting too. We'll move on, but um, it's interesting because Saez is riding the one fearless for Pletcher. He rode Liam last time, and I ride goes to Liam. And I don't want to like type cash jockeys. These are arguably two of the top three jockeys in the country right now. But Louis, you think of as like the uh, the speed guy, and I ride. You think of like the patient come from behind guy. You think I ride would fit fearless, and Louis fit uh fit Liam. But interesting that they uh they flop there. I don't know if it means anything, but just thought that was a. Uh, Interesting note. So I think uh, all of us are going pretty short in that race. It sounds like in a pick five. Brian, is there any, like on the pick five? Are you like Liam and someone else? You think or? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm taking two stands. I, I think everyone's going to go skinny, uh, potentially single in the last leg, um, or use two. But uh, I'll probably single the three at eight to one in race nine. But in race ten, I'll take a stand. I'm confident on Liam. I think lone speed. Um, potentially in this pick five sequence, it's going to be challenging to create value um, with a lot of people turning a pick five into a pick four. Um, so I'm going to single the five to one. Hopefully we get somewhere near that price. And um, if we win, great. Otherwise, uh, we'll be diving into late daily double. <laughs> right. Sounds good. All right, so let's move on. We have two to go, the two Pegasus races. We'll start with the Pegasus World Cup Turf Invitational. I believe they shortened it to a mile and an eighth. I want to say it was a mile and three sixteenth last year. And it's interesting because when I heard Colonel Liam was in the race, he hasn't run in uh, half a year or more. And GQ can attest to this. I was a huge Colonel Liam fan early on. I got off of Colonel Liam his last race back in June, and I was a huge domestic spending guy. I just thought that Colonel Liam's race two back at Churchill on May 1st when he dead heated with domestic spending, I thought domestic spending was like three lines better than him because there was zero pace. Colonel Liam got a great trip. Domestic spending had to close from the way back into zero pace. Now there is no domestic spending in this race. However, Colonel Liam then came back and it's probably not as bad as it looks because he was up on a hot pace that day, uh, chasing wide, but he still didn't run very well um, in his last race. And he's been gone for a while. So when I saw he was running, I was like, all right. Then I saw he was going to be the morning line favorite. And maybe he will go up the favorite. I was like, wow. To me, I, this is like the easiest play against in the world. Now, he might win. He was a great horse. But to me, and I'm a Colonel Liam guy, and there is zero chance he's on any ticket I have. Brian, am I stupid? Or uh, are you in the same boat? Or, or are you leaning on him a little bit? Uh, he'll be on my tickets, uh, you know, not in a strong way. This, uh, I think this is a great betting race. Um, you know, I think this is one of the better betting races. Um at least in the late pick five, I think Colonel Liam's got a lot of question marks. I can forgive him for that last start. You know, it was a mile and a quarter. He had a long campaign. I think it was his fifth start or whatever that season. Um, so I can certainly forgive it. You get Irad back on top. But this is a unique race. Uh, there's a lot of speed. You know, Doswell cleared off last time. Never surprised. Louis Size and Todd Pletcher is it could be a complete freak, but it's certainly going to have to earn it this race. Um, you know, the 12th post is no easy bargain from out there. I know they're going nine furlongs here, so a little bit more time. But there's going to be horses, you know, that are pressing that lead or hot on the pace. I think we could see a great pace set up and maybe not the best horse, but the horse with the best trip win this race. A horse that I, I know has question marks, but that I think could be value is hit the road. It's a horse that was set to go to the Breeders' Cup, got injured, um, 
for everything that I had heard or read about was that it was very minor, but they were going to do right by the horse uh, with hit the road. So they were out that day. You know, Dan Blacker doesn't typically ship horses out. And I frankly don't usually like West Coast horses uh, on the turf against East Coast. Now, if it's West Coast horses on the dirt against East Coast, I prefer that. But on the turf, um, I usually favor the East Coast horses. But I think this is a race you could potentially find some value, um, you know, if Colonel Liam doesn't fire or never surprised gets pressed on the lead, hit the road, could get a great trip. And I think a tone, um, how many times have we seen Mike Maker have horses, you know, that step up on racing's biggest days out of that Doswell race. I thought a tone was stuck three or four wide on both turns, broke from post number 11. And that day Doswell got off with easy fractions. I know it says fractions unavailable, but if you watch a replay, basically clicked off 12 second furlongs on the front end. And that's not going to be the case on Saturday. So a tone at 20 to one and uh, hit the road uh, could be long shot players in here for me in a race that I think is one of the best betting races on the card. And uh, it's scary because we're on the same page. I, I think a tone was definitely better than Doswell last time. And I think he's going in the right direction where Doswell walked on an easy lead. You mentioned a tone was three wide, at least throughout. Um, so I, I definitely like a tone here. I don't know if you'll get 20 to one, but he would actually probably be my top pick for the value and I like hit the road a lot. I mean, a lot of people are going to see the trouble last race, so you're not going to get value for it. My question on hit the road is the distance here, I guess. I mean, does that concern you a lot that he's a miler trying to mile in an eighth or do you figure if he gets a mile why not, and they're taking the shot at a mile in eighth, they think he can get it. I mean, I'm hopeful. He always finishes so strong. I think that's one of the biggest misconceptions is like a, strong closer that's a sprinter stretching out is always going to get the distance so i'm kind of going against myself on this play but with an extra furlong with a classy horse so set to go to the breeders cup i'm hopeful that that extra furlong is not that big of a deal and and really truly should get a great sup in here my biggest concern would just be you know west coast turf horse taking on all these east coast uh horses that might be a little bit too much to ask for off the layout but this is a trainer who doesn't usually ship him over here, so he's certainly doing so for a reason. And, and the um, the Fort Lauderdale, I think we covered on the show like a month ago, and um, I kind of like Space Traveler in that race, more because I didn't like the field. Uh, I, I had question marks on the tone because he hadn't really run against anything, uh, but he really impressed me last race, and that's the horse I want out of that Fort Lauderdale. Uh, but I did like Space Traveler going in. Again, it was more because not much in the race. He had that 12 posts, and Actually, he didn't get an awful trip in the race, but um, should get a good pace here. Should save Brown. You get Jamie Spencer, if that means anything that he's riding here. Assuming he is, I don't know if there's a change or not, but um, that's you know that's that's a horse I'm thinking of uh, adding as well because I'm I'm probably going to spread here. I'm pretty thin in other races. Uh, Flavius finished off a huge pick five for me. He's probably my favorite horse in training. <laughs> he uh, I think it was like a 25k pick five at uh, Kentucky Downs. He won the last leg. So I'll forever be thankful to Flavius, but I just think that horse is on his uh, last legs here. So I'm not a fan of him. Uh, the other horse here I did like, I'm trying to look. Oh, the eight horse and the nine. Those are the two I want to talk about briefly. Uh, I'm a big Sacred Life fan. This is a horse who I love to back. I thought that race in the Knickerbocker was really, really impressive. Uh, he was flying late and it was really like no pace in the race. The top two had easy leads and held and they were seven to one and sixteen to one in that race, and one of them was field pass. And they kind of just walked around the track, one through the hallway. Yet Sacred Life caught them. And I, like I said, I was so impressed. And I don't know if I bet November twenty seventh, 
but I'm sure if I did bet at Del Mar uh, when Field Pass beat him, I'm sure I'm like, oh, Sacred Life, he's going to win. I mean, he's got to be a standout here. And he was four to five, but I don't know. He, he didn't run badly, but he kind of disappointed. I know it's silly to say he came in second by a head in a grade two and he disappointed, but kind of disappointed me. I thought he'd run better. Uh, gets a little time off, which probably helps with Chad Brown. Uh, so I think, especially with some pace signed on here, I think Sacred Life is a big chance. And then Field Pass is the opposite. Two back, I thought, like he got an easy lead. I was not impressed. Two back in his Knickerbocker. But then he went to Del Mar last time. And you can argue he made an early move into a pretty strong. Uh, I'm sorry, uh, take that back. He made an early move, which might have helped him. But I thought he ran pretty well making that early wide move. So um, I, I was impressed a little bit with his race last time. I still prefer Sacred Life. But Field Pass scares me too. So I know I mentioned a lot of horses here I'm going to spread with. But um, do you have thoughts on either Sacred Life, Field Pass, and then anyone else you want to mention before we move on? No, I'll probably use them both. I mean, this is a race. I'm not confident in Colonel Liam or the outside marker with speed. I think with Sacred Life and Field Pass, it was tough to separate them. You either use them both or you pitch them both. And uh, I'm in the category that I'm going to certainly use them both. I know Sacred Life was four to five, but Field Pass was game. You know, I use DRF formulator, so I try and take notes on every single race that I watch. And my notes for Field Pass was super game, headed and fought back with a massive gallop out. Um, so sacred life never went past that day and he might not go past again on Saturday, but field pass, it's tough to tell what maker's going to do. Obviously he's going to send one of them. I do believe Flavius, um, is going to be the rabbit in this race for maker as he took that one over from Brown with Paco. They'll likely go to the lead and, and sit back with the other two in here. But with the eight and nine, you either use them both or you don't use either of them. And I'm in the uh, category that I'll be using them both. And, and like I said, I'm going to be deep here um, with the one space traveler, two atone, uh, the five hit the road, the eight sacred life, the nine field pass. I don't know if that's five or six horses. And you mentioned it is like a, a good betting race. And I mean, it, it really depends what you like in the race. But to me, I, I have no qualms playing against Colonel Liam. I know he was the best turf horse in the country for a while last year. And, you know, the 12 can be tough too, especially if he gets uh, a lone lead, like you, uh, you referenced about his speed. But I'm willing to take a shot against him. He, GQ will probably mention it, but it's his first time against older horses here. He's had pretty easy leads. So um, at least last time he got pressed a little. He can definitely win. But I hope what you said about Maker pushing him with the uh, with the three horses is true. But I'm going to bet against Colonel Liam this, uh, and the 12 horse never surprised who are on paper or morning line, the two favorites. So to me, there's a race that I'm looking forward to betting. And I'm just going to key a tone in a lot of bets and probably hit the road in a lot of bets. So I'll have a lot of bets where I'll have the two atone, the five hit the road, where I'll need both of them and the triple and the super with some of the other horses I mentioned. Um, that's kind of how I'll approach it. Brian, have you thought about this race vertically, you know, saying it's a good bet race? Um, do you have any idea what you might do? Assuming, let's say, the morning line is, is fairly accurate, so you see the odds. I mean, I'm very similar to you. I was, you know, in a great betting race like this, uh, you know, oftentimes I'll do an exact key box, you know, atone and – uh, hitting the road. I'm not a big advocate of using two horses on top, but when you have horses that are going to be double digit odds, you know, you can potentially throw them both on there um, to win or run first or second. So if you get an opinion, you certainly are assuring you get paid. So I'll play it very similar to you. Um, you know, it is a big field as well. So I may dive into tries or supers and, and key some horses on top and play them that way. Um, but I'm not sure, you know, you kind of got to read the odds and see what the will pays are and the probables and things like that. Um, but ultimately I know that I think this will be a key race for the entire day and this will really decide 
how much that pick five pays. Because if that six or the 12 win, uh, unless something crazy happens in the nightcap, I don't foresee this paying much. And in GQ, what do you see here? Any second time blinkers you want to uh, lie to the, uh, mislead the audience on? <laughs> no, but uh, uh, I'm, I'm very uh, disappointed in you. You know, the, the only time I actually picked a horse that you said had no chance who ran a decent second at 17 to one in the past, whenever he's run back, he's, you've mentioned him, but here he's, you know, 10 to one. Uh, there's Doswell. a statute of limitations on Doswell. All right. You had one pick <laughs> once a year and a half ago. Very impressive. Okay. He had a perfect trip and he came in second. Wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Per- no, perfect setup. It was a perfect setup. There was a crazy pace that day and both large. It sucked up. Yep. Kind of- Yep. But uh, no, uh, I keep I keep coming back to sacred life. I don't know why. And I, you know, he's a seven year old now. How much more can he improve? But um, the one thing I always lean on uh, for turf races are the Brisnet speed figures. I'm you know, they've proven me correct a lot of times. And sacred life at this distance has the best career um, turf uh, uh, speed rating. And he just uh, uh, ran it uh, two two races ago, so it's not like you know. Yeah, he got yeah. You know, he ran his best figure when he was four or whatever, and now he's seven. So uh, you know, how much more can a seven-year-old improve or whatever? But it seems like he's probably in uh, one of his best career uh, forms at, at this old age. And um, you are correct, Eric, of what you said when we started with this race. Yes, this race did previously run it a mile and three sixteenths because Sacred Life two years ago ran fourth in it behind Zulu Alpha. So um, congratulations on having that memory, um, something that I don't have. So, yeah, Sacred Life uh, would be my pick. All right. And uh, I guess we'll go on to uh, race 12, the Big one, if you want to call it that, the Pegasus World Cup Invitational, grade one, one mile and an eighth on the dirt. And in what is billed as basically a match race, to me, I've been keeping my mouth shut for the most part because I don't want to get yelled at. Um, we have a lot of uh, wasabi people who uh, listen and we communicate with. And Nick's Go being a Maryland bred, in fact, the breeder, I believe, of uh, Nick's Go is a part of Wasabi as well, and uh, you know, I'm very happy for her. But I don't even think it's close between the two chalks in this race. So I'm definitely on the other one. Uh, I'm desperate to add a second horse as a closer in case they really like really kill each other here. I can't even find a second horse. I- I'm going to be looking to add a second one. I'm I'm going to decide, but I'm uh, I'm life is good. Team life is good. Trying to add one closer, Brian. Am I now? I heard you before. I think kind of in passing, you referred to singling the last race. I might be wrong about that, though. Um, I'm, I'm assuming that you like one of these over the other one. Is that accurate? Yeah, I mean, I think most people will probably use two and move along and call it a free space. Right. I like you find it to be a two horse race, no matter how fast they go. I, I don't know if it's going to fall apart for the others to clomp in. Um, so I just, I, there's been two races in my life with that, that gave me chills uh, truly. And one of them was chance a lot at Saratoga and the other one was 
November 6th at Del Mar where life is good, just seemingly uh, strided away from what I thought was a pretty impressive field. You know, Ginobili uh, had been in good form previously to that, but this horse really looked unbelievably good um, for life is good. And I think a lot of people talking about Nick's goal, drawing favorably on the rail, and that's where you want to be. I disagree. I mean, I think Irad Ortiz is going to be plenty content sitting right off the hip of Nick's goal um, and looking to press that button. When Nick's goal wins, he's clear, um, turning for home. Uh, when he gets headed, he usually doesn't fight back um, very frequently. And I think uh, he'll certainly be headed at the top of the lane, and that's where the real running will start. Um, I think life is good. It's certainly um, the real deal. But when it comes to wagering and strategy, I know a lot of people are just going to use one and four. Um, I'd probably be an advocate of taking a stand um, and trying to separate yourself, even if that stand is wrong, but it will allow you to potentially play, you know, a $2 pick five or, or something like that versus just 50 cents. So take a stand. doesn't matter if you're right or wrong, um, but try and separate yourself from the others. No, that's great advice. I mean, listen, if you're using only double digit odds every other race and no single digit odds and you'll just want to get through this race. Okay. Maybe, but most people aren't doing that. So uh, I, I agree a hundred percent with what you said. And to me, it, I know it's people think I'm silly to say it's not close and Nick's go, listen, maybe he wins by five lengths and I look silly, but like you said, I mean, there's a horse who's never pressed. I don't think he's been going against like the toughest, all the horses. I, I don't think it's that tough of a group that's been around recently. I mean, independence hall, he doesn't do that much for me. Um, Maxfield was a nice horse, but you know, he wasn't like a superstar or anything like that. So uh, last judgment, uh, he's a nice horse, but grade two, grade three type. So to me, he's had easy leads against horses that are good, but not like great grade one horses at all. And life is good. It's just getting better. He's at least he's been pressed a little bit, not a ton. I, I, I was very impressed. Like you said, last race, like to me, it's not even close between the two. Unless Life is Good sits too much off of Nick's Go and just lets him go, but I can't see that happening. I, I can even see Life is Good just going because Nick's Go has never really ran behind a horse, and who knows if he can. The, you know, the one time he was was on the turf, so I can disregard that, I guess. Uh, you know, finished last or whatever, but um, that was on the turf a long time ago. So to me, it's Life is Good. Now, if things heat up, me, you know, could a closer go? To me, if I'm betting this race, like a lot of people say it's unbettable because it's two horses, I I'm probably going to bet this race. And I'm just leaving Nick's go off all my tickets. So I'm going to try and hit like tries and supers without, and just hope he packs it in. My problem is I don't know who I want to use. So even if you think it's a, a two horse race or life is good, Brian, I mean, out of the other, what is it? Six other horses, seven other horses. I mean, is there anyone, who, who do you think comes in third? Let's do that. Unless you think they can catch one of the top two. Well, I mean, I just have to admire the training job of Brad Cox, you know, Nick's goal. Man, he got good once he switched barns from Ben Colebrook. This horse who, you know, couldn't beat Signal Man um, or High Call, Owendale. The list goes on for who had beaten Nick's goal in the past. So an unbelievably feed good feed program for Brad Cox and Nick's goal. But I think life is good is going to be too good. Um, in third, if I try and get creative, a lot of times I notice what happens is the horse that you don't see on paper or you don't understand why they're in the race uh, happens to run well. And that could be a horse like title ready. Um, I'll probably play him underneath. Uh, life is good on exactas would appear to come in off a of bad form may have just taken a while to get acclimated after trying to buy, but they thought very highly of this horse. You know, they ran in the breeders cup classic. They went to Dubai 
things haven't necessarily worked out. Hernandez has been awfully loyal uh, with the horse, and now he's off. Uh, maybe a fresh face like Tyler Gaffleone should get a great trip. I don't think they'll be too far behind. Not a deep closer by any means, but a horse that can certainly uh, get up there on his best day and could be rounding into form. You can forgive the last two races. Uh, in fact, you could probably forgive the last three races, one in Dubai, and the last two were in the slop. And he gets back on a fast main track. He's going to be overlooked and probably be all of 40 to one that day. Uh, he's a horse you can use underneath. And the, the three I'm going to bet for the most part underneath life is good are the six, seven, nine. Uh, so you mentioned title ready. I almost don't want to use Sir Winston because I think he's going to be overbet because of his name and he won the Belmont stakes and he did so with like a perfect trip that day. So I, I would downgrade that. I downgrade his Peter Pan. He's just like the one true close. Well, there are other closers, but he's like a, a true closer here. Uh, he's shown a little more speed recently, but going to mile and a half. Uh, I, I just think the race will set up well for him. I, I don't know if he's any good anymore on the dirt, but uh, he's run well in the synthetic. So if he can transfer that to the dirt, because I, I think they're going to take a lot out of each other in the top two personally. I know that usually doesn't happen in horse racing. They don't duel, but I really think they will. I think Nick's go is going to come way back in the pack. I mean, may, maybe not. Maybe the uh, incredible training feat, second only to like a Navarro or service. Uh, maybe that horse will just hang on. But um, I, I just, I, I'm hoping he comes back. So six, you already talked about the seven and the other horse, uh, the third horse I'd like for maybe underneath more than uh, anything else is the nine common deer. I know it looks like hopeless here. Uh, on class, he's never been above. Uh, he won a, a non-winners of one allowance, and then basically a non-winners of two optional claimer. He won that one, but his speed figures are improving. Um, I, I have knocks on almost every other horse in the race. Why can't, as a four-year-old, a newly four-year-old, you know, improving horse, why can't he step up uh, and, and run a better race? And if he gets a great setup, why can't he close? It's not like he got great setups to close into. So um, he, he's another horse I'm going to use. So. In my vertical betting, I'm going to go four over the six, seven, nine for the most part in tries and supers. I, don't, I might even throw in all but Nick's go in the fourth spot for the super, something like four. And I'm not an all guy, but four with the six, seven, nine, with the six, seven, nine, with all except for Nick's go, something like that, and, and hope he runs off the board. In the in the pick five, I said I would, I know it might not be smart taking a short price and then using other horses, but I really want to add a second horse in case they really kill each other. Maybe it's a waste of time. I, I just can't decide between um, those three and more likely title ready or, or commandeer. I have to look at my ticket. Maybe, maybe I even use both, but I doubt it. And what I'll do is I'll, I'll bet more with life is good. So, you know, if I do add two or three closers with life is good and a 50 cent pick five, you know, I'll have it for a dollar, dollar fifty, two dollars with life is good. Um, so I'll press with him because I, I think he's clearly the best horse in the race. Um, GQ, if you want to say anything here and then we'll let Brian wrap it up if he has anything more. Yeah, to just look forward to see how this race shapes up, if they really are going to go as a team and made the best horse last type of thing, and then see who picks up the pieces later. You know, you, both of you made good points on other horses to use underneath or try to beat each of them. I, you know, as far as a long shot, um, you know, what the heck, uh, the eight horse endorsed, 20 to one maker. The horse has been running six furlongs, seven furlongs over the past year. Uh, you know, Mad uh, you know, Sires Medagliadoro out of a tap at mare 
certainly can get the distance and it's two for two uh, at the distance and, and uh, never been off the board at Gulfstream. So, you know, at a price, yeah, why not endorsed underneath? Um, I just think uh, the five horse empty tomb, if this horse goes off anything close to 20 to one, um, it'll be a miracle. I see more like 40 to one. Other than that, you know, just bring on the race. Let, let, let's enjoy it. And what I wouldn't give for Julian Leperu to start this pick five off with four graces and end up coming here somehow. I would <laughs> love that. It's not happening, but I, I would love that. Uh, Brian, you want to say anything else about this race or the sequence at all before we uh, wrap it up? Uh, no, not much. I mean, this should be a great race between two uh, great horses, but this is one that uh, – you know, I'm a victim of it myself. You try and create an ATM when there's really just a tip jar there. Uh, <laughs> so I'm hopefully just alive in the pick fives and, and we'll watch uh, the great equine athletes that are on the track. But I fall into it just like everyone else. You feel it's a huge race. You got to bet it all sorts of ways um, on paper. And I think you'd agree this is a challenging race to bet. Um, so I'm more in the category of just uh, watching. I do believe life is good is going to be probably three to five or four to five. I think the horse is going to take that much money. Um, so maybe a win wager. But uh, other than that, I hope it plays out uh, the way it looks on paper because it certainly looks like an intriguing matchup. And with, with knowing the forecast in New York and a few other places, maybe canceling up north, uh, I can see Gulfstream getting – the some kind of record handle here on Pegasus Day with uh, the card they got was a pretty good card, some big fields and lack of competition. Only Oakland really has a, a really, really good card that I saw. Uh, maybe some of the smaller tracks. I don't even know if Sam Houston runs on Saturday. Maybe I should, but um, you know, Oakland has a really nice card with, I want to say the Southwest Stakes or one of the three-year-old preps. Santa Anita looks terrible like usual, but. Um, Sam Houston is until night, I believe. They don't run until the nighttime. So I think Gulfstream yeah. should be sitting on a great day. Yep, and then Sunday, of course, if you guys are betting out there, you got Sam Houston's got their big uh, racing festival. Looks like some nice fields on Sunday there. I think they're starting about 2.45 Eastern time. And for those who like the mandatory payouts, I'm always torn on if I should bet the mandatory payouts because then I feel like I'm supporting a jackpot wager by rewarding the track. But Gulfstream's paying out their pick six on Sunday. So if you don't mind uh, betting into the mandatory pool there, something to think about for Sunday. Brian, I want to thank you so much for coming on. I'm really a, a big fan of your work and uh, GQ as well and uh, appreciate it. I know you have a busy schedule coaching and working and stuff like that. So once again, thanks. You're welcome. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it, guys. Hey, uh, anytime, Brian. Thanks for your insight and uh, uh, what you're doing to promote horse racing. All right, everyone out there. Have a great weekend. Good luck at the races. Enjoy the Pegasus. We'll speak to you next week. Ta-ta.